0: Father, thank you for those words, those written words, your written word. Thank you. Thank you for speaking to us, and may we, may we hear you this morning. May you give us ears to hear what, what you want each of us to hear and take away and receive, and grant it to be fruitful in our lives, to bear fruit that would please you, that would bless this world. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Be seated, please. So imagine this following situation with me. So you're on your way to the Red Sox game today. You're actually not going there because you're gonna help clean up, I think, afterwards. (laughs) Or some of you will be. But imagine you're going there uh, to the Fenway Stadium and you get there, and when you get there and you enter the stadium, you see something quite strange. Instead of the players being on the field, all the players are in the stands, sitting there with the spectators watching the field. And on the field, instead of the players playing the game, it's all the coaches and the trainers. And they, they're playing Cleveland, and eventually they get whooped. <laughs> uh, the Boston Red Sox lose. It's... Uh, um, it was funny to watch, and it might be funnier to watch once or twice, but that's not what people pay to see, right? That kind of mix-up doesn't happen in baseball, but that kind of mix-up can happen in the church. When, when the players, the people of God, instead of being on the field and playing the game, they're in the stands thinking that they're supposed to be the spectators. And they're just watching the the coaches, the the leaders, the ordained people play the game. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to watch them play the game. Well, if that's the setup, pretty soon we're going to get whooped. (laughs) That's not going to work in the long run. One of the reasons for this mix-up is what we can call The fatal comma. The fatal comma. So if you have a Bible in your possession or if there's one in your pew, you can grab that. And we're going to look at Ephesians this morning. and In particular, two verses from our reading, our New Testament reading. So Ephesians chapter 4. And when you get to chapter 4, look at verses 11 and 12 if you can. You probably don't have the fatal comma in your translation unless you have the King James Version which is what I'm going to read to you. This is how the the King James Version puts it. And he, that is Christ, gave some apostles, gave some prophets, gave some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ, let me say that again. For the perfecting of the saints, comma. For the work of ministry, comma. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So most likely your translation doesn't have that first comma. Our, our best up-to-date translations don't have that. Decided that should not be there. But if you didn't have a modern translation, if you all you had was the KGV with its fatal comma. <laughs> how might you read this verse? Probably like this. The prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, typically what we understand to be the leadership or the clergy in a church, those in ordained ministry, they're given to the church for these three things. For the perfecting of the saints, at least in this verse, and to do the work of ministry, and to edify the body of Christ. They do the work of ministry. They're the professionals. That's what we pay them to do. And the laity, the rest of the people, are the people of God, come just to watch and see them perform. So going back to the the baseball illustration, the clergy are the ones playing on the field and the rest are in the stands, the spectators. Well, that KGV comma has shaped uh, the thinking of Christians for 400 years. Uh, And that, that kind of thinking doesn't go away, including the thinking that led to them placing that comma there. Here's the ESV translation. And he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints, no comma, for the work of ministry. Do you see the difference there? To equip the saints for the works of service, you could also say or translate for the building up of the body of Christ. So when you take away the comma, the the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, they don't equip the saints and do the ministry, the work of ministry. They aren't the coaches and the players on the field, so to speak. They aren't called to do the ministry for the church. They are there to equip the people of God to do the works of ministry towards one another. That's a paradigm shift that we've been going through already, thankfully, for a while in the Protestant churches, Protestant world, uh, but we still need to be reminded of that. So, when we do that, though, we move from just being a spectator in the stands, which over time, that just gets boring. But when you start to get on the field, you start working in your gifts, in your position, That's when the adventure of the Christian life begins. Few things are better than knowing your position in the game, so to speak, and getting trained for that and playing that position. Few things are more rewarding. Few things are more difficult. (laughs) But few things are more rewarding and exhilarating than that. So it's important here to remember everybody, of course, here has a different ministry, has a different position in the body of Christ and in the world with what we do. The people mentioned in this passage are part of what you could call the equipping ministry. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Which again, that doesn't necessarily have to be an ordained position. People who do those kinds of things don't necessarily need to be ordained But he gave these people to train, to equip the rest of the people of God for works of ministry. The first three you can see as those who start things. And the last two of these you can see those are the ones who nurture things in the people of God. So prophets, apostles, these were primarily the people God used to give us the scriptures. But we have the the playbook, so to speak. And, and continuing on from there, prophetic-type people are people who have a, this ability to see like a hawk. Prophetic people can see clearly what's happening in a, in a given situation and what needs to happen and should be happening, what, what needed newness we need in a situation. And so I, I don't have a strong gift in that. I like to depend on people who have that gifting, whether they're these powerful people in prayer or these, they're these scholars who, who do have this discernment, this cultural discernment, to see those kinds of things. Apostles, these are the people who, who can make things happen. They love a blank slate. The apost- apostolic gifted people are just church starters. There's no church gathering. They love that. They love to imagine and they have the ability to make a Christian gathering start to happen. Evangelists, evangelists are those who, when there is no Christian faith apparent in someone's life, they know just how to start faith in that person's life. They know just kind of what to say, what to ask, how to help people start believing in the good news. See so yeah, the first three They're about starting, uh, starting faith, life, fellowship in the Christian life. Without them, there wouldn't be new churches. There wouldn't be new Christians. There wouldn't be uh, Church of the Cross right here. The last two, the shepherds and the teachers, those are more the, those who nurture, right? Those who cultivate that faith, that fellowship, that Christian life. And Paul summarizes this whole quipping of ministry when he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, the first three, Apollos watered, the last two, but God gave the growth. The most important part. And what are we planting, watering for, according to our passage? What growth from God are we looking to him for, trusting him for? That we would all be enabled... Equipped for works of service. As Paul puts it here, to to help people serve each other and serve the world like Christ does. So the the word here for service, for ministry, is uh, diaconius. It's the word where we get deacon from. A deacon is one, essentially, who serves. That's at the core of who they are, what they do. Pete, Pete is our deacon. I don't know where he, woohoo, yeah, there we go. (laughs) Pete, so who actually wrote an excellent article in Christianity Today, the most recent issue. You should read that. It's an excellent article. But deacons like Pete, they're put forward by the church as someone they know represents servanthood. They exemplify it. And we believe so much in that in in the Anglican world that we ordain people to the diaconate. Uh, To pray for them, to empower them, to live out this servanthood. But not so that the rest of us don't have to serve. (laughs) What that should do for us is give us an example, inspire us, remind us of the calling we all have to serve one another like Christ serves. That's what they're there for. And as priests, uh, I prefer, I'm with those who prefer presbyter, but those who are priests or presbyters, those who are bishops, are all first ordained as deacons in the Anglican world. To see that that's the foundation of the ordained ministry is to represent Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve. And priests and bishops just do that service differently. And by the way, we have two people in the process for for being ordained as deacons, we have Anna Banks and Anna Friedrich, who I am married to. So woohoo! <laughs> Pete, we should put our hands up. Um, deacons, yeah, they're there to remind us of all of our callings, and they're examples of it, people that we have um, put forward, that we can trust. Oh, this is, this is a Jesus-like person. In Ephesians, the the goal is that we would model this together as a body, as a community. The goal is to become mature in Christ, as Paul says, to be built up in him, to express the fullness of Christ individually and as a body. I love in our our passage it says, Christ did all these things he did so that he would fill all things. That's what he's after, which includes us individually, collectively, so that we would, we would express his new humanity that he's after, that he's creating, that he started to exemplify in his own life. To serve like him, and, and so to serve like Christ is basically to serve in the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. I've been talking about the Holy Spirit for a long time, and so a lot is coming together in this sermon and is going to lead into the new series we start next week up until Advent. But the fruit of the Spirit is basically the way Jesus served. He served with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the way of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is reproducing in us as we spend time with the holy spirit the gifts of the spirit are basically how pe- how Jesus served people in different ways as he was the first one to be prophet he's called apostle in hebrews he's the first evangelist the first pastor really the first teacher He's the first one to work with these gifts of wisdom and knowledge that Paul talks about, with gifts of creativity and administration, with gifts of healing and hospitality. All those gifts of the Holy Spirit were first illustrated for us, exemplified for us in Christ. And then he shares those gifts with us through the same Holy Spirit. So the way we express these gifts should be similar, right? It should be, Uh, like with the fruit of the Spirit, should have a family resemblance. There's a similarity with all of us. There should be a likeness to Christ, no matter what we're doing. But what we do actually might look different, of course, depending on who we are, what our gifting is, what our story is, what our position in life, our season in life is. Each of us is gifted by the Spirit differently. So some of us have a desire, and ability for administration Organization. That's called one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit by Paul. Others have a desire and ability for creativity, creative solutions, creative art, creative worship. Others have an ability to make and give money. Others have a desire and ability to discern spirits and especially the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, just because we have these unique things, that should never give us an excuse how to get out of serving. So, like, for example, it's time to wash the dishes and take out the trash. It's like, well, that's just not my spiritual gift, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I got my gift is reading, so I'm just going to go over here while you guys do the dishes. Uh, no. And that gifting should never make us uh, desirous of making a name for ourselves. And that's a harder one, I think, to resist. That self-glorification that we want many times that comes with sometimes excellent work, powerful work, the, the Holy Spirit. God has enabled us to do incredible things. It's hard not to turn that back onto ourselves, to promote ourselves. So the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, of course, then is not, not to impress one another with our gifts, but to truly serve one another in love. That's a big difference in how we go about it. In order to to make much of Christ, to make much of his new humanity that he's after, this new multi-ethnic humanity that expresses something of the unity and the diversity of the Holy Spirit. We need that today more than ever. We do not have a lot of examples in the world of unity and diversity happening in love, in service to one another. Where we we don't just tolerate our differences. That's a big ethic of our day, tolerance. That's a low bar. That's not the bar, the Christian bar. (laughs) The Christian bar is not just to tolerate our differences, but to honor our differences, to treasure them, to receive from them, to notice and nurture God's purpose in each of them, to help people become different than us in some ways. That's what the Holy Spirit enables us to do. That's what the Holy Spirit... Without the Holy Spirit, that doesn't happen. Not in my experience. Not at a real level, a deep level. Without the Holy Spirit, we become something like an artificial flower. From a distance, we might look something like a flower, but you get closer and the aroma of Christ is not there. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. There's a motto from the Navigators that summarizes our purpose in Christ, to to know him and to make him known. To know him, there's a lot to know about Christ. <laughs> to know him as Lord, to know him as Lord of life, of all of life. To know about his finished work and how that changes everything. To know his Father as he knows him in the power of the Spirit. To know his written word and to know his guiding voice. To know his sheep whom he loves in the world for which he died. There is a lot to know about Christ. But one way we know him and make him known in a powerful, deep way is through the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Which again, remember, are basically the the ways and the works of Jesus. When you do those things, you're getting to know what he's like, what he does, why he does it, how he does it. You really get to know someone when you get to know, do the things they do and the way they do them. And so before I became a firefighter a long time ago, I used to hear about firefighters. I used to read about firefighters and what they were like. And I kind of got a sense of what they were like, but I never got to know what they're like until I got trained to be a firefighter, until I started doing the works of a firefighter and the way that a firefighter should do it. And then I had the inside knowledge. I knew firefighters from the inside, experientially. In the same way, you can get a sense of who Jesus is by hearing about him, reading about him. But when you get trained and equipped to do the kind of works that Jesus does, in the way that he does it, in the same Holy Spirit in which he has done it and continues to do it, you get to know him in a new and deep way. And you make him known in a new and deep and powerful way. That's what people can start to point to then a person in a community and go, oh, that is what Jesus is like. Never perfectly, of course, but we can and should do it substantially. There is that promise to us, a down payment, a foretaste of the Holy Spirit that should be noticeable, substantial, even if it's not perfect. So my calling as a, a shepherd and a teacher, again, is of certainly not to point my, people to myself, but to point people to the great shepherd, the great teacher, the teacher. I am simply an icon, hopefully, to him. And my job is, again, to, to know him and make him known in that way, to behold him first as the great shepherd, to behold how he cared for the sheep, how he led them into God's presence, into God's purposes, how he nourished them and fed them with the Word and with the Holy Spirit, how he shepherded. As I behold him in that way, in the Holy Spirit, I'm also enabled to become like him. If you think back to last week's sermon, we become what we behold. So as we behold what Christ is like in the way that we need to serve in the church and in the world, we are enabled to become like that in this world. The more we do that, the more we behold the Lord with unveiled faces in the power of the Spirit, the more we are enabled to become like him in this world. The more we are able to know him and make him known. Yeah, each of us, right? We have, we're, we have a calling to behold the character of Christ. That's going to be the same for all of us, beholding his character with unveiled faces and then reflecting that character in our lives. But each of us has a different position on the field. And as you probably know, you need to try different positions, both in the church and in, t- in the world, to know where you fit, to know where you're more gifted in. And giftedness only goes so far. You still need to practice, practice, practice your gifts. And different seasons are going to mean different things for you in that regard, whether you're in school or whether you're in a residency or whether you're you're having little kids to take care of for a season. That might change. And no one has all the gifts, of course. Only Christ has all the gifts. But each of us can represent one of those or a few of those in the world. That's our calling to figure out what those are and to behold Christ doing them and then reflect those. So, if we're into administrating, how did Jesus administrate? He did, if you've got eyes for that. How did Jesus express creativity? He was incredibly creative. Behold that in the scriptures. Let that transform you, inform you, and transform you. How did Jesus build in the scriptures? How did he heal people if you're in the medical profession? Behold that in Christ and let that transform how you practice healing in your work, in your ministry. How did Jesus teach if teaching is your vocation? Next week, we're going to look at How did Jesus welcome people? How did Jesus practice hospitality? And we're going to do that until Advent. We'll look at that throughout the fall. How did Jesus do this? We're going to behold him doing this. Hopefully become like him in doing this so that we will welcome one another as Christ welcomes us to the glory of God. As Paul puts it in Romans. To recap, beware of the fatal comma that keeps you bored and in the stands. Thankfully, that's not had much of a place here at Church of the Cross. This church is very participatory. People are getting in their positions. Rebecca this morning was training people uh, for their positions in the children's ministry this morning. Know your position. Know your work of ministry. Get equipped in it. Get trained for your work of ministry of which beholding Christ and in that beholding become like him is most important. Keeping your eyes fixed on the one you're to become like. And do all of this to know him and to make him known that the world would see something more of the new humanity that Jesus Christ is after. And see Christ who plays not just in a stadium or in a building, but in 10,000 places. May it be so. Pray with me. Hmm. Father, what, a, what an honor it is. What a, what a privilege to hear about the good news of what Jesus is after, what he's accomplished already, and what he's sharing with us now and desires to share with us through the Holy Spirit we acknowledge this is no easy thing. This is no walk in the park. We need you for this. We need your spirit. We need eyes to see the one who you want us to see and behold with unveiled faces in the power of the spirit. May it be so, Father. Give us this grace in his name. Amen. Amen.